turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And if, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 30 and turn to, uh, let's see here, Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, we're start, we're, we started the series last week. This is the second week of the series called Focus. And uh, the, the, the goal is pretty obvious. We want to live our lives focused, and here's the title, on moments that matter. There's a lot of moments today that you'll live that don't really matter. But there are some moments they matter a great deal. This week, you'll live, you'll live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A lot of those moments, they don't matter at all. There are some of those ma- moments that matter a great deal. We're going to identify those moments, talk about those moments, and, and, and thread the Word of God through it, and uh, I hope it encourages you today. Uh, we're going to start off with Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is Joshua. For those of you that know Moses, he was the one that split the Red Sea. Well, he passed away. The one million people that were following him are now following his assistant, Joshua. The trouble is, is that out of that one million, everybody say one million. million. Say it like an Italian, one million. million. There you go. Uh, One million uh, people, a lot of those people stopped believing in God. They stopped, uh, their heart used to be to God, devoted to Him. And, and then all of a sudden, something happened. Joshua didn't know every single case scenario, but something happened, and their heart was no longer devoted to him anymore. Uh, and so this is what he says to them. He says this, this command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. It is not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. What he's saying is this is not a hard thing. It is already in your heart. You already know what's right. You already know what's wrong. It's at the tip of your tongue. It's it's on your lips. The question is, here it comes. Now listen today. I am giving you a choice. Life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you, if, that is a huge little word, isn't it? If, because everything that we've just talked about is contingent on your response see a lot of times we back up and we go god bless me but hold on a minute here there's a there's an agreement in place anytime you see the word if if i tell my son you go clean your room and if you do that 
you'll get an allowance. If he comes to me and go, I want my allowance. And I go, did you clean your room? And he says, no, the deal is off, right? See, a lot of people want the deal. They just don't want to do their end of the deal. All right, so here we go. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. Will bless you. If you live for him, he will bless you. Can you imagine if you were friends with a multi-gazillionaire? And he says, look, if you and I are friends, I'm going to write you a check every single week. That'd be a good relationship to have. <laughs> are you with me? God is saying this, if you are in relationship with me, if you are devoted to me, I will bless you. Does that mean he's going to write you a check? Look, here's the deal. I just want him to bless me however way he sees fit. And that's the wonderful thing about God is he's constantly doing inventory of your life. And sometimes a check, a bonus, a raise is not what we need most. If you have ever had a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister in the hospital, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You'd rather have them out of the hospital than get a raise. Are you with me? All right. Are things going well so far? Are you enjoying yourself? All right. Here we go. Um, but if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen... And if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, or no God, then I warn you, now that you will certainly be destroyed, you will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will not have a good life. You don't have to serve God if you don't want to, but just brace yourself. This is not going to be a fun ride for you. That's right. Has anyone here ever ridden the Texas Cyclone before they tore it down? Did you get halfway through and like, this is not fun? Now, some of you, I, 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 that was the last roller coaster I rode. I'll never ride a roller coaster again. I don't have fun on roller coasters. Some people do. More power to you. My wife is one of them. She loves roller coasters. She pays people to scare her. <laughs> scare me. They call them thrill rides. I want to be thrilled. I want you to put me in a box cart, bring me a mile in the air, and jerk me around and make me feel like I'm about to die. That's what she loves. That's not for me at all. Uh, I, I, I just want a good life. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm putting before you death. You want to drink that? Drink it. Pound it. Throw it back. And I'm also providing life. It's up to you. You can pick death. You can pick life. It is on you. Nobody has a gun to your head. You can serve God. You cannot serve God. It's completely up to you. What's so interesting, all of you that just clapped, thank you for helping me. I'll preach like four hours if you keep it up, so be careful. My daughter uh, was in this drama, this thing yesterday, and she did a great job. But somebody bought her flowers because she did a good job. And I thought I would be an awesome dad by taking the flowers and putting it in the vase for her. And so I'm cutting the rubber band off. I'm putting, pulling the plastic off. They, it comes with this little pack. It looks like cocaine, but this little pack. 
I know what you're thinking. How do you know? <laughs> but uh, you dump it inside of this thing, and you take flowers, and you shove it in there. And, uh, and, and it's so interesting. While I was putting the flowers in there, I was like, man, these are beautiful flowers. And I thought to myself, these flowers look like they're alive. They are not alive. They are dead. They don't know they're dead. They don't even look like they're dead. This one right here in particular, he, it's got one more gusto. It's got one more pow. It's got one more moment, and it's dead. It looks alive. It's not alive. It's got one more. And we're going to pay extra money for this because we're going to get three more days out of it. This one right here, it, it, this one right here, as pretty as it is, it's already bloomed. It's given it its best shot. It's done. This one hanging, <laughs> clearly. So this one here, it, but, but if you put them all together, they almost look alive. But the moment somebody with scissors went clip, it was over. Beep, 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 beep. Done. Looks alive. It's not alive. Sometimes we can go through seasons looking alive. The reality is if you keep on drinking this, because ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm not one of those religious people. I'm going to do what I want to do. And here's the thing. If God loves me, then he's going to find a way to get me in whether I, I can drink what I want. feels so cool to drink this because it's just water. It's not going to kill me. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's like, hey, look. Here's the deal. Was God going to send me to hell over this? Is that what he's going to do? He's going to send me to hell? Just because I... Look, if you're drinking it every single day, God can tolerate a mistake, but he cannot tolerate flagrant sins. Not going to do it. Some of you say, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Okay, let's go there. I haven't even got to my sermon yet. It's y'all's fault for clapping. I told you. He walked up to the adulterous woman. He said, look, you've committed adultery. All your sins, are, you are forgiven. Ye who, who has never sinned before cast the first stone. Everybody walks away. He says, your sins are forgiven. And he goes, hey, go and sin no more. In other words, I, I need you to be done with this lifestyle. I have forgiven you. I need you to be done. I need you to be done. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. Here's the thing. Solomon was one of the wisest guys to ever live on the face of the earth. And he writes this scene. He, he was leaning out of his window. Looking down. He's in a palace. He's looking down. He can see the town. And he sees this young man about to do something stupid. Hid. And he writes about it. Watch this. This is in Proverbs chapter 7, verse number 6. Solomon looks down, verse 6. He says, I was, while I was at the window of my house, looking through a curtain, 
I saw some naive young man and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman. Now, for those of you that think the Bible's boring, put your seatbelt on. He was crossing the street of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. The woman approached him seductively, dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. In other words, me and God are okay. I've been to church this week. I go to church this week. Me and God are good. So me and God are good. Clearly, he must find that important. So she's going to say, hey, I know you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. All right, now that we got that out of the way, how many people have lived enough life to realize that Satan will make sure that the package is wrapped any way you need it most? Don't you wish single guys and single women would just have a sign on their chest and it tells the truth about them? Like, I am going to steal money from you. Wouldn't that be nice? Or, I am obsessive compulsive and I'm going to make your life miserable. Wouldn't that be nice? I am a controlling freak. So when they say, hey, I'm Bob, you can read that sign or like, I have, no, I'm just. <laughs> what verse am I on? My bed is spread. You are just the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets and colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with mure, uh, myrrh. <laughs> This, is, this whole story is making me awkward. Myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Man, she's taking it to a whole new level when you're sprinkling cinnamon. Is <laughs> it getting hot in here? <laughs> she says, Come. Let's drink our fill of love until morning. She's not wanting to play checkers, folks. <laughs> Let's enjoy each other's caresses. Watch this. For my husband is not home. <laughs> Just think, some people skip church today. <laughs> Wrong day. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox to the slaughter. 
He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. I love the way this guy writes. He was like a bird (laughs) flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. This guy's preaching without me. Verse 24. So listen to me. Now, Now Solomon shifts his attention. He's talking about this young man, and now he shifts his attention. Now he's talking to you and me. Watch this. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your heart stray away towards her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many, many men. This is a man of experience talking. Have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. Her bedroom is the den of death. Moments that matter. Where he ate lunch doesn't matter. This moment matters. What he decided to wear that day doesn't matter. This moment matters. There are certain moments in our day, certain moments in our life, they matter. They are going to echo long before that event is over. This is not an isolated event. This event has consequences. This, this, uh, oh my goodness, let me just get to my notes, otherwise I'm going to start preaching something else. Here's a recap. Um, the, the Solomon said that this young man lacked judgment. Was he trying to insult the young man? Was he trying to, no, he was actually stating a fact that he lacked judgment. How does he know? Does he know the young man? It doesn't matter if he knew the young man or not because it is a fact that young men, watch this, let me just read it. According to the book For Parents Only, uh, written by Shanti Fieldhan, she says this, that the frontal lobe of your brain, not the right hemisphere, not the left hemisphere, the frontal lobe of your brain, the part that makes decisions, choices, and consequences is not fully developed until your mid-twenties. Don't raise your hand on this. How many of you are younger than 25? I, I, I said don't raise your hand. They put, that's my point right there. That's my point. I say, don't raise your hand. They got their hands up. They, until you're in your mid-twenties, your brain is not fully developed. Your frontal lobe of your brain, consequences and decisions, it's not fully developed. So when somebody tells you, a seasoned adult outside of their 20s, they say, You are making a mistake. They are talking with a full brain. (laughs) When you say back, now I just I I know there's some 16-year-old kids sitting here going, you don't know what you're talking about. We knew you were gonna say that. (laughs) Because when you have half a brain, you think you know everything. 
How many of you, and I'm in this boat, the older I get, the smarter my parents get? When I was a teenager, my dad was dumb. Now that I'm an adult, he got smart all of a sudden. Little did I realize he's been smart all along. See, there's different levels of learning. First, you think you know everything. And then when you break out of that, you know you don't know everything, but you just don't know what you don't know. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Here we go. So this young man, he does not have a full brain. So, so, so he's looking down, and the young man, he's got Dakar. He's got cool water. He's got polo. He is ready to go. He's got his brand new shirt on. And he's walking and he hears music in his head. He, is, he knows the husband's out of town. He knows she's available. He hears music in his head. And I'll bet you a dollar to a donut. The soundtrack sounds something. way older seasoned in years he knows this game he sees it and he has another soundtrack in his mind it sounds like this this guy's about to die Now, is he about to die physically? No. No, no, no. He's not about to die physically. Spiritually. Socially. Emotionally. It's, you know what it's like? It's just like this. Every time you begin to make decisions, you begin to pluck certain parts of your life apart. And you can try all you want to to pick those pieces back up. And still... Uh uh-uh. uh. And this young man does not realize, if you're taking notes, he does not have the wisdom to back up to realize that this night is not an isolated event disconnected from other events in his life. That it is connected because there are certain moments that matter. This night is a step down the wrong path. If you're taking notes, realize this, that when you begin to open up that door, hell comes walking in and it is not leaving anytime soon. It is not leaving anytime soon. And he will have to live the rest of his life with the consequences of that one moment. There's three takeaways. Number one, let's be wise. There is no moment that's an isolated event and every decision determines your path. Let me give you a series of examples. A single woman may say something like this. I want a great Christian guy who's really got his act together. But she will date anyone who's cute. Don't point at anybody. That'd be awkward. (laughs) Single guys 
I want to have a great sex life whenever I get married. But in the meantime, I'm going to practice with anyone who's available. Let me just tell you something. No, I'm not even going to chase it. A married woman will say, I want to have a great relationship with my husband, but she makes the children a priority over him. Moments that matter. A husband says, I want my kids to respect me when they grow up. But spiritual laws don't matter to him. Moments that matter. A young Christian says, I want to develop a deep and lasting intimacy with God. But there's no time for him on the weekend. Moments that matter. A man says, I want to grow old and invest the latter years of my life into my children and my grandchildren. But as a young man, they don't take care of their health. Moments that matter. A couple says, would like our children to develop a personal relationship with God and choose friends who have done the same, but they skip church every weekend and head to the lake. Moments that matter. Newlyweds, determined to be financially secure by the time they reach their parents' age. But then they adopt a lifestyle sustained by debt and leverage assets. Moments that matter. A high school freshman intends to graduate with a high GPA and go to a college or university of high esteem but neglects to study in high school. Moments that matter. Let's be wise. I shared this last Wednesday. We have church every Wednesday night at 7. I shared this last Wednesday while I was speaking. That there is a particular, uh, in the book, Smarter, Faster, Better. Thank you, Cleet, for the referral. Smarter, ba Faster, Better, written by Charles Duhigg. He mentions this sergeant in the Marines that's got these enlisted young men in boot camp. And during the toughest moments of training, he'll yell to them, why are you doing this? Why? And they'll, oftentimes they'll yell something back like, because you told me to, sir. And he'll go, no, 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 because that's the first level answer. He's going to peel it back a little bit. And he'll say, no, 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 why are you doing this? And they're running through mud. They're waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning to do drills. They're doing 5 million push-ups. They're running in waves. They're, they're eating in the slop line. And he says, why are you doing this? In other words, why don't you just quit? And he says, and the answer oftentimes sounds something like this, because my family needs me to serve. See, when you force yourself to answer the question, why? You begin to realize that that one decision is not isolated. It's actually a part of a constellation in your life. That it goes together. Let's ask ourselves the question, why? Why, why stay married? Let me tell you why, because I don't think I've said it in like 62 days, and I want to say it like every three days. Every single time somebody gets a divorce, every single time, hell goes jackpot. That's right. That's right. And why is that? Because it affects three generations in one decision. I'm telling you, sometimes you just got to 
and go to counseling every single day. Not once a week, every day. Two times a day, four times a day, to the point that your counselor is like, I'm so tired of you guys. Go in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. Why? Because it affects three generations in one pop. I'll illustrate. My, my father, my mother, they got a divorce. My wife's father, mother, they got a divorce. We come from divorced families. So watch this. It affects my mom and dad, obviously. That's one generation. It affects me. That's two generations. It affects my kids. I've got a two-year-old little granddaughter that's affected by a decision that was made over 25 years ago. She has to pay for it. Why does she have to pay for it? Because not, not all the grandparents can come see her all at the same time. One gets a Christmas, the other one gets next year's Christmas, but we don't get the same Christmas. One gets, how many of you know what I'm talking about? One decision. Here's the thing. We have got to realize that there's certain moments that matter. When you make one decision, by the time somebody gets a divorce in 2018, the moments that built up to that started in 2016. At a certain point, you got to realize this moment right here is not going to rip my marriage apart today, but it will. It will. You take a match and you lay it inside of a forest and you just walk away. Is it going to be a forest fire that moment? No, you just wait a second. And sometimes a second is a year. And sometimes a second is two years. Sometimes a second is five years. But the reality is, is that there's certain moments that matter. And there's got to be that alarm that says, if I do this, I'm opening up the door. And hell is stepping in. You don't want hell in the house. You don't want hell in that house. You don't want it. Before you Google something, just realize somebody's coming in. Let's be a fighter. Number two is let's be wise. Number one is let's be wise. Number two is let's be a fighter. Let's not ever quit fighting. You know, uh, I, I heard um, I was a part of an, an internship in Rockford, Illinois. And um, there, was, there was 13 of us. And we used to talk about everything together. And, and one time, uh, one of the young men in the, in the room asked the senior pastor, am I going to struggle? We were all like 16, 17, and 18, 19. So you think the only thing that's on our mind is just like girls, 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 right? And so one of the guys in the room asked the senior pastor, um, am I going to struggle with lust for the rest of my life? And we all started laughing, but we were like, we want an answer. <laughs> <laughs> and the pastor said something I'll never forget. He said, there are certain battles that people will fight for the rest of their life. And I like that he said certain battles because for some people, lust is like, Pfft. there's other people it's alcohol. Other people, it's something else. He says, they will fight it for the rest of their life. He goes, but it is winnable. Amen. Amen. You'll fight it for the rest of your, but you can win. Point number two is this. Point number one is wise. Recognize this moment is bigger than this. Number two is you got to stay 
stay in the fight. If that young man is walking down the street and that little girl Trixie or Roxy or whatever her name is, hey, don't turn around. You know what the Bible says this? It says, run from your loose youthful lust. It doesn't say fight against it. It doesn't say stand up against it. It says, run. God is not as impressed with your ability to stand up to sin as he is impressed with your ability to run from it. Run. When Roxy comes out, That's from the theologian Mo Laring Curley. There's this book out, uh, it's been out since 1973, but it was written by Peter Jenkins. It's called A Walk Across America. And he walked across America on his own two feet. Now, we're not going to discuss whether or not he's crazy. That's irrelevant. We're going to talk about his experience. They interviewed him. They said, hey, what was it like? And he goes, let me tell you what it was like. He goes, uh... I was mugged three times, I was stabbed once, I got hit by a car, my dog got hit by a car, I ran out of money and had to get a job to make money to get myself across. This was a personal goal of mine, it was very difficult. And he wrote a book about it. And some reporter asked the question, of all of those experiences, what experience made you want to quit the most? Sand. He said, I'd get sand in my shoes. And a lot of times, days or weeks would go by before I could walk to a Walmart or a Payless or a Kmart, whatever, uh, Woolworths. You guys remember Woolworths? 1973, it was probably Woolworths. And before I could get some shoes. And he goes, having sand in my shoes would just grind. You know what's so interesting that he says that is because it wasn't the stabbing. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the snowstorm that he had to endure. It wasn't the rainstorm. It wasn't the explosive heat. It was the sand in the shoes. And what I've, I've noticed in my life and in the lives that I've had the pleasure to live with is it's not the big things that make you want to quit. Like they were hard seasons when somebody passed away. That was a hard season. When the divorce, that was a hard, when you lose a job, that's a hard season. But it doesn't make you want to quit on your faith with God. What makes you want to quit on people and with God and with yourself is the daily grind. The daily grind. Am I right? Am I talking to anybody? It's like I'm happy Friday is here, but Monday's coming. I'm happy it's five o'clock, but I got to do this again tomorrow. I'm happy we just made up and we're not fighting anymore, but we're still sharing a room. Am I talking to anybody? The daily grind. The daily grind. And, and what he would have to do is he would have to sit down and he would have to find places to wash his feet. Because 
as he was washing his feet, it was like this relaxation. It's just like this peace. Just for a moment, he would find this moment of peace. But do you know something? Jesus never intended on you washing your own feet. He sat down with his disciples and he said, look, I know we've been walking everywhere. I know you've got sandals on. Take them off. I've got water here. Let me wash your feet. He never intended on you and I trudging through life, trying to get through this, trying to get through the hurt, trying to get through the pain and heal ourselves. He never intended that. He intended on you not to quit, but he also expects us to get our strength from him, not from ourselves. I don't know about you, but there are many a times where I've wanted to pick things up and throw them out the window just because they're there. Because it's so stressful and so hurtful, but we cannot heal ourselves from the daily grind. We've got to learn to back up and say, you know, we are scared of silence. It makes us awkward. Like talk already. It's hard to sit down before God. It's hard to turn off the radio. It's hard to take your cell phone when you get in the car and put it in the glove compartment. But it's the most important thing you will do because that's when He begins to refresh you. Number three. And let me say this as well. For those of us that have fought, before I go to number three, I have fought for things and have lost. I, I have picked up my parents' burden as a teenager before and prayed. Have you ever picked up somebody else's burden and prayed for their problem? Have you ever done that? Some of us are doing that today. I do it all the time. I carry your burdens. I pray for your problems all the time. If you have ever lost something, I just want you to remember something. You do not need anything that you have lost to be blessed. You do not need anything that you have lost to be blessed. Blind Bartimaeus needed Jesus, but he couldn't see him to walk up to him. But he was born without sight. He had to go by ear. If you have fought for something and you've lost it, let this be an encouragement to you. See, teenagers don't connect to this point. They connect to the flowers, but they don't connect to this point. You know why? They haven't lived enough life yet. Sermons like these, I can't preach at youth conferences. I'm supposed to speak at a youth conference in June. I can't bring this message. They're 16, 17. They haven't lost anything yet. And the things that they have lost, well, geez, they can go back to the lunchroom and get a new boyfriend. <laughs> when we lose things, it's a, it's a big deal. I want to let you know, when you have fought for something and you've lost it, if you've lost it, you don't need it to be blessed. 
Last and third point, to be consumed on what matters. To be consumed with it. There are two or three things that matter. Your relationship with God, your health, your family. To be consumed with it. Not something that you think about in your peripheral. Oftentimes the things that are most important to us gets the least of our attention. To be consumed with it. Charles Duhigg actually wrote in in the same book. He actually said this. He said, your willpower is not just a skill, it's a muscle. Did you know that? That people who have the willpower to push brownies away, people who have the willpower to wake up and go to work in the morning, people who have the willpower to go to the gym and work out, people who have the willpower to have a prayer time every single day, that is not just a skill. Some people are born with a skill, but it is also a muscle that can be developed. Let me read the excerpt from you from Charles. He says it like this. He says, like muscles in your arms or legs, as willpower muscles strengthen, good habits seem to spill over to other parts of their lives. When you learn to force yourself to go to the gym or start your homework or eat a salad instead of a hamburger, part of what's happening is that you're changing how you think. Said Todd uh, Heatherton, a researcher at Dartmouth, uh, Dartmouth, how do you say Dartmouth, 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 who has, who has worked on willpower studies, people get better at regulating their impulses. They learn how to distract themselves from temptations. Dis- that's, a, that's a novel thought. To distract yourself from what you're tempted they learn how to distract themselves from temptation. They, and once you've gotten into that willpower groove, your brain is practiced at helping you focus on a goal. You get in a willpower. So it, for people that have, they're just born and they seem to have willpower. Ah! They may have, that's why, and he goes on to say this, that's why putting kids in sports at an early age is so important. Because you teach them willpower at an early age. And as they've grown up, their brain has been in that mode for 13, 17, 19 years. And parents that don't have boundaries for their kids, their kids have never learned the art of building willpower. That's why kids can't do whatever they want to do. Because when they get older, they haven't learned how to tell themselves no. That was kind of good. Isaiah, why don't you kind of come up here and, and, and play the piano or send somebody up here to play. It is my heart, it's my heart that moments that matter will become the primary focus of our lives. Those three or four areas that matter would be the primary focus of our lives. Because here's the thing, this is what I just really believe in my spirit, that there, that the eyes of God are looking back and forth, looking for faithful 
people. And this is what the psalmist said in 12.1. No one is faithful anymore. Do you have that scripture? Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Where are the faithful? Where? Let me say it this way. Where are you? Where are you? When, 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 when the Lord came walking into the Garden of Eden, He came in and He said, Adam, where are you? Where's my son? Why are you hiding from me? Where are you? Where are you? Where have you gone? Where did you go? What took your attention from me? What has your focus? Where are you? I, I'm, I'm calling out. Because what I believe is that oftentimes faithful people just get things out of focus sometimes. And it just takes a friend or a pastor or a moment to come along and say, hey, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Let's recalibrate that compass. Let's, let's get things pointing back north again. Let's begin to exercise some of those willpower muscles in the direction of the Lord. Because I want to tell you something. How much you bench press doesn't mean diddly or squat. You can build your willpower in that area all you want to. The reality is, is that there are two or three areas that demand your focus. It demands it. And if you have, listen to this, if you have any desire at all to become more focused on God, the only reason why you have that desire is because the Lord is inviting you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have that desire at all. That desire did not come from you. It came from Him. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless drawn by the Son. If you're sitting here in this room and you're saying, you're talking to me. Not everybody in this room is thinking that. There's some in this room that's only thinking about lubies. If you have any desire at all to get more serious and more focused on Him, you are experiencing an invitation from the Lord that says, focus on me. Be wise when those decisions come, when those moments come. Fight for those decisions and be consumed with those decisions. Not everybody, if, you, if this is resonating with you, the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart because not everybody in this room, and if you're in this room and you're like, you're boring me to death, just come back anyway. I want to tell, tell you how much the Lord loves you anyway, okay? Just come back anyway. But for those of you that are like, I think you're talking to me, the Lord has his hands on your heart and he's pulling it. 